By now everybody's figured out I'm a huge nerd for history. I'm completely fascinated by the historical figures in the early days of the Restoration. On this episode, I have a chance to sit down and have a conversation with Kent Pickering. Kent is an amateur historian on the life of Martin Harris. Now, Kent's interest in Martin Harris is a personal one. He's a direct descendant of Martin. So not only does his love of history come through on this episode, but there are times you can actually feel in our conversation his love for Martin come through. Our conversation ranges from the early life of Martin Harris to his conversion to Mormonism, his monetary support for the printing of the Book of Mormon, to his eventual falling away from the restored gospel, to his time in Kirtland after the Saints left, to his ultimate return to the Saints in Utah. Stick around for a fascinating conversation on the life of Martin Harris, and that's next on this episode of the Mormon Renegade Podcast. So I just want to take a moment to thank you, the listener. When I started this podcast, I wasn't sure if anyone would really listen. Now, to my surprise, this thing has taken on a life of its own. And that's all due to you, the listener, spending your time here with me, and it means a great deal to me. Now, as a husband and father, I'm keenly aware of how important time is. It feels like there's just never enough of it. So when you are spending your time here listening to this podcast, I feel a responsibility to never waste your time. In that spirit, as this podcast has grown, I feel like I need to do you, the listener, justice. I want to continue to produce good content and upgrade the audio quality. That takes better equipment and better software, and that all takes money. Now, I've tried to advertise, but you'd be surprised. There's not a lot of people wanting to advertise on a Mormon fundamentalist podcast. I know, surprising, right? Now, if you want to help support the podcast, you can do that one of two ways. The first is go over to mormonrenegade.com and hit the Donate tab. There you can make a one-time donation or you can go ahead and set it up to be a monthly recurring donation. Your choice entirely. Now, option number two, because I'm a capitalist, if you want to head on over to mormonrenegade.com, click on the store button, you're going to find that we've got some new swag out. we got some t-shirts, we have a tote, we have cell phone cases, water bottles, coffee cups, we got a bunch of stuff and more is going to be on the way. So, if you feel like that's something you could do, again, head on over to Mormon Renegade and check all that stuff out. If you're not in that position to do so, I completely understand. We're all squeezed right now with high gas prices and high inflation. So, even if you can't, please keep listening and maybe keep the podcast in your prayers so we can continue to grow, produce good content, and better audio quality. Thank you. Listening to the Mormon Renegade Podcast. Welcome back to the Mormon Renegade Podcast. As always, you can get a hold of me uh, either by email at mormonrenegade at gmail.com. You can also get a hold of me on uh, Instagram and Twitter and Getter under the handle Mormon Renegade. Also, we have a website up, and that's mormonrenegade.com, so go check that out. So today on the podcast, I am super excited. This is one I've looked forward to for a couple of months now, and I have on Kent Pickering. Now, funny story, I actually messaged Kent thinking that Kent was his cousin, and and he uh, he he quickly said, no, you got the wrong guy, but I do happen to know a little something about Martin Harris. 
And me being just an absolute nerd for, for history in general, but especially early Mormon history, I, uh, I jumped at the opportunity. So I'm super, super excited for this episode. Kent, thanks for being here, man. Yeah, Farrell Pickering, uh, who uh, he's my first cousin. That's who you were originally trying to contact. So he's the one that does all the studying about the Daniel Codes. He's got a new book yeah. out. I'll put a plug in for his new book. I've read it, and it's fascinating. And I've, uh, so uh, I've, this is the first time I've actually met uh, David in person, so I really appreciate being here. Yeah, well, I'm I'm happy to have you. Yeah, so so you're an actual descendant of Martin Harris, correct? Yes, and it's quite very interesting how that works out. So uh, now we we look at Martin Harris, and first off, I'll explain a little bit about myself. Is that I'm uh, soon to be sixty eight years old. I uh, recently, a little over a year ago, contracted a neuromuscular disease called myasthenia gravis, and oh, I'm sorry. I've almost died, could have died several times in the last year, or else kind of returned, but I had a, a breathing crisis last June, and during that crisis, I had to be intubated and on a ventilator, and I was uh, comatose for 36 hours. And it's my opinion that during that 36 hours that I had a near-death experience, but I have no memory of it. But uh, since that time, I've gained a greater understanding of the gospel and what God wants me to do and how I can best serve him in my later years. And so, and that's kind of where I'm at. And oh, I've do uh, presentations for the Firm Foundation on the life of Martin Harris for Rod Meldrum. And I really love Rod Meldrum. He's the only venue that will take an old man off the street that's not a professional <laughs> researcher and a historian and give presentations. And it's a very small group of presenters that he trusts to be a regular presenter and I'm privileged to do that because I'm a descendant of Martin Harris. Now Martin and Lucy Harris married and they were first cousins. Their uh ancestors came from Smithfield, Rhode Island. And it's kind of interesting. It's I don't know I'd look for these connections, but it just helps me remember things is that Smithfield, you think of Smith family, field being the world, so you can say the Smith world. So they came they were going to eventually be part of the Smith world. And then in his later years, Martin went to Smithfield, Utah with his second wife, Caroline, lived next door. And so his second wife had a connection to hmm. a Smith world. It's just interesting that Martin Harris was just foreordained to be uh, the number one or supporter of the Smith family, at least the first one chronologically. So... He married Lucy Harris. Uh, Martin was born in uh, Easton, Saratoga, New York. Lucy was actually born in Rhode Island, not in Palmyra. Uh, I think there's a mistake in the her biography in the Joseph Smith papers. In the in Palmyra, and you know Martin uh, had his farm, inherited uh, land from his father, Nathan Harris, is one of the founding members of Palmyra, 
And so when we think of Martin Harris, we think, well, he paid for the printing of the Book of Mormon. He gave Joseph Smith the $50. He actually did more than that, is that he employed the Smith family on his farm in his house and helped keep them afloat financially after they moved to Palmyra. So the contributions of Martin Harris are just very, very extensive. And in my current research and dedication to trying to bring forth information on his life, I found there's a disconnect. And so my purpose, I don't necessarily want to call it a mission, but my desire is to try and reconnect the membership of the church with the sacrifice of Martin Harris, because he's one of the main reasons that we have a restoration. Absolutely. So, so before we go to that disconnect, I want to kind of recap here just a little bit about what, um, what we learned about Martin Harris in, in, in our youth or in the LDS church, mm-hmm. if you will. He's a guy who seems to be a very successful farmer and a little bit of a businessman as well. He uh, meets the Smith family. And as you said, not only does he help out with restoration things, he's employing the Smith boys all the time. Also, he's, you know, letting the word out, hey, there, there's these Smith boys that are great help. They're, they're good labor. They're, they're moral. And so he's, he's also making sure they have work from other folks, just not him. When Joseph begins his mission, it's, um, it's Martin Harris, who's kind of his right-hand man for a little bit of time there. He helps, you know, keep him afloat financially and even pays for the printing of the Book of Mormon. Um, then there's that episode where uh, Martin asks Joseph for the manuscript uh, the manuscript goes missing. Martin and Joseph are kind of in some trouble with the Lord. Then, after the you know uh, Martin comes back and is repentant, and and Joseph welcomes him with open arms. Um, eventually, Martin does separate with the saints for a time, and then rejoins in Utah. Is that a good overall you know yes. real real brief overall history? So so we have that out of the way. Now, what did you find? You, you mentioned something here a few minutes ago I found really interesting. You said you found a bit of a disconnect with Martin Harris. What is that disconnect? That disconnect is, you know, all of us are human, and if we all make mistakes. You know, mm-hmm. I'm not going to list some of my bad mistakes here. <laughs> That's for sure, and you won't mention yours either. But if we were judged by the worst thing we ever did, uh, none of us would ever make right? it to back to our heavenly father you know right you we and that was that's one of the problems with martin harris people think martin harris oh he lost the 116 pages uh oh he almost ruined the mission of joseph smith he was called a wicked man in uh the doctrine of covenants by the lord through revelation and it's like people judge him for his apostasy and for his losing the manuscript. And it's totally unfair to Martin because Martin Harris holds a position in this dispensation that people aren't even aware of. And I wasn't aware of until I actually found it. 
And Martin Harris, uh, okay, I'm going to say it. This is a podcast where I can be truthful. Yep, yep. And I don't have anybody looking over my shoulder. Nope. Martin Harris, in my conviction, gave the greatest temporal sacrifice for the salvation of the human family in the history of the world. Even more so than Joseph Smith? Even more. Well, the one thing that's different between Joseph and, well, maybe Joseph is a little bit harder, but Joseph didn't lose his family. Joseph didn't have to give up his family in order to make that sacrifice. When Martin uh, made the sacrifice to pay for the printing of the Book of Mormon, his family turned against him, and he got right. uh, kicked out of the house and eventually moved to Kirtland, and it just ruined his relationship with all of his uh, children. So we we go, uh, and, and I was surprised at the amount of the disconnect. I, I'm still disappointed they discontinued the Martin Harris pageant. I wish that decision would be reversed, but I'm not in the decision-making process, so, you know, I don't fixate on it. I wish the local ward in Clarkston would take it up again. You know, they've got the amphitheater, and the Clarkston ward used to put on the pageant before the church came in and helped them. Uh, but, uh, so that is a little bit of a problem, in my estimation, is... The youth is not being taught enough about Martin Harrison, what he did, potentially, because they're not having the pageant. And so something has to kind of fill in the gap, and I've tried to do that. So when I give presentations to the Firm Foundation, and I, you know, I attended some of Rod's expos, and nothing on Martin Harris. And so I went up and talked to Rod, and it's pretty tough, but the expo would have any time to talk to Rod. Let me oh, tell yeah. you, he's the busiest yeah. man there. And I don't even think he even eats lunch, or he grabs it on the go. But I said, I'll give something on Martin Harris. We're missing that. I'm a direct descendant. And that's where it started. And so the first time I was there, I thought, you know, I dressed in the costume, handed out flyers. I was like the missionary out in the field the first day there, <laughs> handing tracks to everybody, going to convert the world, getting ready to stand on a, a pedestal and preach to this great group of people. And I thought, I'll be street mobbed at the table. Cause, and it didn't happen. People... The majority of the people just walk by. Here I have, right. you know, and I, I'm not an actor, and I'm not anybody that's noted by my name. I, my name's Kent Linford Pickering, and I actually put the name Harris in there when I give my biography of Kent Harris Linford Pickering, and that's another part of the story of my family. But they just didn't come. Yeah, uh, it. So many people walk by. Now they didn't have a lot of time, and there's a lot of. Uh, display, so it's understandable. You said you've been there, so yeah. it's yeah. hard to uh, talk to somebody. And you know, there some people you're afraid you don't want to monopolize somebody's time, so it was all right. And I had some pretty good conversations, but this disconnect is very real in the fact that when I would do my presentations, they wouldn't get as many views as like one on prophecy, you know. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing wrong with watching views on prophecy. Believe me, that's the number one thing nowadays. To If you want to get views of your videos, have someone talk about prophecy, and you'll get more views than any other topic. Uh, but they didn't 
I didn't get that many views. Uh, and I'm a new kid on the block, but I thought the draw of Martin Harris would be enough to bring people in. It actually wasn't. So I was quite surprised and a little bit disappointed. You know, I think, so there's two things. You you mentioned earlier that, you know, it's a good thing we're not judged by our worst day, so to speak, right? And I think I think we all have to to understand that that these men in history, they don't have the gift or they, they don't yeah, they don't have the gift of being able to look down the road in two hundred years and see what's going on. They're living in the here and now. Now, did Martin lose the manuscript? Yeah, he did. However, that should give us hope. Because if Martin can screw up and come back, well, you and I can screw up and we can come back. It's it's the main reason I love Peter in the New Testament, right? What in in one minute he's saying, I'll go to death with you, Jesus. I will be right there. I'm never leaving your side. And the next minute, he's denying the Savior three times. And Yet the Savior still works with him, right? Mm-hmm. Upon, you know, you'll be the rock upon which I build my church. So this idea that that we have to be perfect, there's no perfect people here. The Lord relies on flawed individuals to perform his work. Now, obviously, there are sins which can put us at odds with that, but there's repentance as well. And I think for for the 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 folks that, we could relate to most out of scripture and history. I I think the reason we tend to shy away from folks like Martin Harris or cringe a little bit when we hear Peter say, you know, I'm going to go with you. And then he denies the savior is because we see too much of ourselves in those same people. And so I've always said, we need to be a little bit more charitable when we're judging history, right? Because we don't, we don't have the gift of perspective looking or they didn't have the gift of perspective 200 years in the future like we do looking 200 years in the past the other thing i'll say and i've noticed this is that we give a pass to old testament prophets and characters more so than we do newer dispensation prophets and characters and i think it's because they're so so new right they're they're a little more within arm's length of us and so I think sometimes Martin Harris might get railroaded a little too hard because he is so close to us, mm-hmm. chronologically speaking. Um, those are just a few of my thoughts. But you can't ever take away the fact that Martin Harris was instrumental, a key tool that the Lord used in bringing forth the restoration. Yes, and so the actual position of Martin Harris is uh, he is kind of like the family representative for the Harris family, okay? Like when we have families, you know, the family, and, you know, you go to the proclamation on the family that we're all familiar with, is it's patterns after a ward, Mm -hmm. okay? A bishop is the father of a ward, okay? Uh, the bishop's no more important than the members. He just, you know, somebody's got to be the one that presides. And it, right. it's a one person. Somebody's got to be the father of the family. Uh, you're 
the father of your family, I'm the father of my family, uh, and Martin's the father of the Harris family. And now, yes, he apostatized. Yes, he was gone for 36 years. But there's uh, one bit of evidence that happened that backs up what I just said. And that is, uh, Martin's father was Nathan Harris. He was a local trout fisherman there in Palmyra, so his nickname was Trout Harris. But he never joined the church. Uh, Martin had uh, two brothers, Preserved and Emer, and one sister, and Naomi that uh, joined the church. And Naomi and Emer came west. Emer was the father of Dennis and Lot Harris, who was one of the two uh, young men who were in the meeting with the conspiracy to kill Joseph Smith and went and reported to Joseph Smith and then had to keep their vow of silence for 20 years, which Dennis and Lot Harris did. And he, it wasn't until that 20 years was up that he revealed the contents of that meeting to Brigham Young. Okay, so here you've got Emer Harris that's faithful, went to Nauvoo, never... Uh, left the church and Martin that left. But when Martin came west in 1870 and Martin went to the endowment house and received his temple ordinances, his father came to him in a dream previously and asked for his help to do his temple work. So his, because his father recognized Martin as kind of like the president of the Harris family based on his position of how he was called to help Joseph Smith. So uh, that's uh, one of Martin's positions that we don't think about. Now, there's another one, and this is probably the only podcast that I would uh, talk about this on. Is Now, this is very interesting. We Let's go back to the dispensation of Abraham. We know we have the major dispensations. You know, mm-hmm. Adam, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Moses, uh, Christ, Joseph Smith. Uh, I don't know if I got all seven in there of the major ones, but uh, let's go to Abraham. And we know he was asked off for his sac- the sacrifice of his son Isaac. And then there was a ram in the thicket. Okay, the ram in the thicket is kind of like a position in these major dispensations, or at least some of them. So we know we have the ram in the thicket that took the place of Isaac that was sacrificed on the altar. You know, and The ram was there alone. He didn't have a, a ewe by his side. Now let's come down to the last dispensation. Okay, we've got uh, Joseph Smith opening up the last dispensation. Uh, we have, uh, he's kind of like the father of the last dispensation, even though he, uh, you know, had his father, Joseph Smith Sr. Joseph Smith is, he presides over this last dispensation. He's our direct link to Christ. You know, it's stated that those who go into Christ's kingdom will have to have the approval of the prophet Joseph Smith. Mm -hmm. Okay. I don't have the quote, but it can be found in several I've, I've read it before, you, yeah. I'm sure you've read it. And so, but, okay, here's the last dispensation. So do we have a ram in the thicket 
No, because we're we're going to restore everything that was in the Abrahamic dispensation here in the last dispensation, along with everything else. So we need this position of the ram in the thicket. Okay, a, a ram in the thicket is a person who stands alone uh, and makes a sacrifice for the benefit of the people. He's a sacrifice analogous to the sacrifice of our Savior Jesus Christ. And when Martin Harris uh his property to pay for the Book of Mormon. Originally, it wasn't an offering. They were going to sell the Book of Mormon and pay him back before the note came due. But the books didn't sell. The one thing that had the price too high, they dropped the price and still didn't sell because uh, there was a conspiracy in the town that they, no one would buy it. But if Martin Harris would not have... Uh, paid for the printing of the Book of Mormon, there was no backup plan. Right. Uh, you know, the Lord could have raised somebody else up, but it would have taken time to do it. And that uh, extra time, what would it have done to the timeline of the last dispensation, the organization of the church in 1830 uh, on April 6th, uh, the conversion of you know, people like Brigham Young and Heber C. Kimball would it have delayed that. Mm. And, uh, so uh, Martin Harris is in the position of the ram in the thicket of the last dispensation. Now that was my, I hate to say opinion, but conviction, because, you know, I'm not a, necessarily a prophet or revelator, I'd get inspiration like you do, uh, David, but it's just what I felt impressed. And so I thought, no, oh, here's this revolutionary idea. Nobody's ever said Martin Harris is the ram in the thicket of the last dispensation. And I said that in one of my presentations and thought, well, who am I to say this? You know, I'm not a scholar or historian. What authority do I have to say it? But I do have the right to say it as his descendant. And one thing we that I have learned is that as descendants of our ancestors, we have the right to understand those ancestors more than an outside historian even. Well, I think that's part of the, the, the promise that's made, right? Of the hearts turning to the hearts of the children, turning to the fathers and the hearts of the fathers turning to the children. I think that there is definitely a, a knowing that takes place in that in that time period i won't get into the details but my family history is extremely convoluted i'm the only mormon of any stripe on either side mm -hmm. and um that family history is a bit convoluted however in doing genealogy work right and finding out some uh, some of who my ancestors are i remember there was one night where i just felt a natural affinity for people i had never met i didn't grow up with a rich tradition of family, you know, this is where your family comes from. This is what they do. So I felt like I was kind of handicapped in that. And it, it's with a little bit of shame that I discounted just how powerful that promise of the hearts of the fathers turning to the children and the children to the fathers really is. Cause I, I, you know, I thank God every day that I had that experience where I could feel that love for people I had never met, but knew they were close. So when you say that that you have that um, authority to be able to speak on that as being a descendant of Martin Harris, I don't think that's 
that's too bold or out of line or anything else. I think that that's probably one of those blessings of, of, you know, the hearts turning towards each other. It definitely is. And so we know that when we read the scriptures and particularly the ones in Malachi, that they were important enough that angel Moroni uh, quoted them to Joseph Smith is there's so many applications of the same scripture and what you just said. And so, uh, and I'm not a, a, a proud person or a boastful person, but this is something that a blessing any of us can obtain is I feel that I am the person or been given the blessing and it comes from God. It's nothing that I took of myself is to understand Martin Harris and his sacrifice in his life more than any other person alive on the earth today because I, out of his descendants I've studied his life more than any others as far as I know well and like I just said it's my right as his descendant and the historians are a little bit limited you know they and it's understandable that they have boundaries that they're hesitant to cross you know because it's someone else's family but me I'll kind of cross those lines, and it's not necessarily bad, but I'll, like, the one I just crossed saying Martin Harris is a uh, ram in the thicket, and, you know, and if I make a mistake and I'm wrong, you know, Martin will just tap me on the behind and we'll laugh and go preach the gospel together, you know, after this life or something like that. But now getting back to the ram in the thicket is there's actual physical evidence of this being true. And I somehow, I can't even remember, somebody clued me in that the Martin Harris Kane, the one that's in his picture that they that we see on the internet, you know, there's not very many pictures of Martin Harris, but I looked at the head of the cane and it looked like a head of a snake, you know, a little bit. And I thought, well, it's a little bit like, you know, Aaron's rod. Uh, so I was just curious, and then I someone clued me in that this cane was on display at Reed Moon's Bookstore in Provo. I don't know if you've ever been there. Mm -hmm. uh, I've never re met Reed personally, but I went there and had the privilege of uh, having my picture taken with the original Book of Mormon. And so I, I looked at the cane, I looked at it from the side, and the came from the side, and I don't know where this cane came from. Uh, Martin probably brought it from Kirtland, but he had someone carve it for him. It is a carving of a ram in the ram's head. Hmm. And it's, and in my presentation, I I have, someone took a picture of it for me from the side view, and I've blown it up, and you can see the ram's head, and there's actually the slit across the throat like doing the animal sacrifice like they used to do right. back in biblical times and so martin had to have told someone to carve it that way someone in kirtland there's no documentation of who did or where or when but i saw it with my own eyes and when i went to a, a extended harris family reunion uh, the caretaker of the cane told me about the cane's head being the ram's head and having the slit, I'd already seen it. So we need to 
be thankful for Martin Harris that he gave us an example of what true sacrifice is. You know, he now he did not have to sell all his property to pay for the printing of the Book of Mormon, but he did lose his house and oh, 150 acres. I I may be a little bit. Uh, off and remember my details because I'm constantly like David on information overload because we're always studying and trying to figure out the truth and how to share it with people because you know if we we both feel we've been given talents to gain knowledge and we don't want to bury those talents with us when we go to the grave we want to share it right uh, that if God gives us understanding we have an obligation to share it to strengthen the saints, you know, uh, teach one another the doctrines of the kingdom and the purpose of these discussions sure. is to uh, perfect the saints. And so uh, Martin Harris did show us an example. Uh, he did keep, oh, I can't remember the number of acres, but he did keep a great deal of the acreage of his property uh uh, about 150. I, I've lost it. You're good. Amount, You're good. I'm good. I, that's not important. But that's how he supported himself in Kirtland. You know, that he didn't go to Kirtland totally destitute, but he was called by Joseph Smith or told by Joseph Smith, come to Kirtland, leave your family, bring the copies of the Book of Mormon. I want you to come help bring the uh, any saints in Palmyra and the Coesville branch and come to Kirtland. The Lord's called you to Kirtland. So, uh, not only did Martin pay for the printing of the Book of Mormon, but it says he followed the Savior and sell all that thou hast and pick up your cross and follow me. And Martin Harris did that other than keeping some of the acreage. And he sold that over time. He made trips to Palmyra to sell that. And that's how he sustained himself in Kirtland. But uh, we have no clue, myself included, as a lot of us are here in our adequate homes, and it's a real blessing. I've been in a lot of nice homes talking about Martin Harrison, but, you know, he had to give that all up. And, you know, for us not to respect Martin Harris is, you know, I'm not trying to put Martin on a pedestal, and he wouldn't want me to, but we need to understand his sacrifice and and his example so and same thing with the prophet joseph smith we don't put joseph on a pedestal uh, we don't worship joseph but we can learn from his example of trying to serve the savior as an imperfect human being and same thing with martin and so uh, now uh, there's another thing about martin and you mentioned it the lost manuscript and uh, one th thing about the lost manuscript is uh, it's quite different than how it's portrayed in some of the movies. And uh, well, let me go back to something. I don't. I want to make sure I don't forget this. Now, let's go back to when uh, Martin gave Joseph the fifty dollars. This is before the time of the lost manuscript. Now, a lot of times in cinema. And I don't know why they do this. They show Martin giving Joseph $50, and he hands him a $50 bill. Now, uh, it's one of my 
disappointments with cinema that they don't do a little bit better research because now that is misleading because he, yes he gave him fifty dollars but he gave him fifty dollars in silver now when you the portray martin giving joseph paper money that's uh, misleading because one of the reasons martin left the church and it was shown correctly in the movie The Witnesses, which I had the privilege of meeting the main uh, actors and, and getting to know them, have my picture taken with them uh, when, at the premiere, as Martin did not believe in paper money. So he never joined the Kirtland Banking Society. He believed in, uh, he didn't believe in fiat currency. He believed in, you know, the... You know, the good, the good, good hard stuff, gold, the hard silver, stuff, gold, silver. silver standard. Yep. And so there was nothing wrong with that position, but so, uh, but we need to remember that a lot of times art and cinema, it's a little even in church movies, it's a little bit. Uh, I don't know. They take some license, right? They take some license. Take some license, and yep. and, and the, the writers don't always do enough research. But it doesn't take away uh, from the overall theme and the good parts of the movie, so I don't get hung up on that. So we we know that Martin went to New York. Now, before uh, Martin went to New York, he had a vision of the Savior telling him to go to New York. And so, uh, you know, he took characters, but there was actually more than one copy of characters. Now, Joseph copied some of the characters when he was studying the plates after he moved to Harmony, and, you know, uh, he took the wagon, and we know, we know the story of the barrel mm -hmm. of beans yep. and getting pulled over by the sheriff and uh, the worrying about whether they were going to take all, look, dump the barrel out and see the plates. And I don't know, they were probably wrapped but in the barrel. But uh, so, and then Martin, and so when Martin went to Harmony before he went to New York, he... Joseph and Martin made a separate copy of characters, and that's what Martin took to New York. There wasn't he didn't take the only copy right. of the characters, and then we know the story and how later uh, Professor, Professor Anton, Anton yeah. uh, denied it, and we know it fulfilled the prophecy in Isaiah, and and the uh, copy that we see today uh, is not the copy that Martin took to New York. And one thing that is interesting, and I I don't know if you know Hannah Syriac. Yeah, I know who she is. Okay, yep. you know who she is. She's I, don't, a, I don't know her, but I've seen she's her. She's a super good friend of mine. Yep. Uh, she was trying to start a podcast, and she interviewed me. And we're all, we interact quite a bit. And she's now a religion writer for the Desert News. And... Uh, I'm hoping to maybe co-write some articles with her and use her position to maybe get some of this information out of uh, Martin Harris. Uh, I always have too many projects that I can keep up with, especially since I'm physically limited with my disease. But I made the statement, it just came to me out of the blue, is we're all witnesses of the Book of Mormon and that we see the copy of the characters. Now, Joseph Smith... No, it's not like he had a lot of education learning how to write or be an artist. And for him to 
write characters. There's no way he can write characters like that. And, uh, so, and we have the privilege of seeing the characters that were on the plates, and the whole world can be a witness of that. You know, we don't see the plates. You know, we didn't see the characters inscribed in the gold like the eight witnesses did and the three witnesses and uh, Mary Whitmer, Whitmer, but we we still have the witnesses. That That's a testimony to Joseph's calling and just the fact that we can see those those intricate characters, you know, that, and... So and goes to New York and he comes back and then Martin comes and is a scribe. Now, uh, Martin was called a wicked man, but you got to realize Martin was getting a lot of pressure from Lucy and he wanted to convert his family. You know, he really believed in the Lord. He said, if I show them the manuscript and they see this truth coming out, I'll have them converted and they'll, I'll have a united family and then I can really help Joseph. So Martin had righteous desires in asking to take the manuscript. Now, one of the problems was is the manuscript wasn't copyrighted. There was no uh, copyright office in Harmony. And it's hard to copyright. I don't even know if they could really get a full copyright on just something that's uh, written, uh, you know. Yeah, uh, it looks like scribbles, right? Scribble, yeah. you know, like a rough draft or something. Right. You know, it has to be something more definitive than that. And so he, that was one of the problems. They didn't listen to the Lord. Uh, Martin didn't protect the manuscript. He took it home. It was lost. Now, uh, I am not in agreement with Rhett James. I don't agree with all the historians. You know, and in the Martin Harris passing, it showed Lucy burning the pages. Now, I believe that is incorrect. Okay. I'll stand up for my triple great-grandmother, Lucy Harris. Okay. You know, she went, it was hard for her to give up some of the things she gave up. She's also a contributor to the publication of the Book of Mormon. For one thing, she was the first person to give money. She gave an inheritance from her I think her parents, $28, she gave that to Joseph that he, towards the translation, but uh, she didn't have much say in what Martin was doing, you know, even though she was very active and worked around the house and on the farm, and I think they raised sheep, and that's another thing about the printing of the Book of Mormon that no one thinks about, that my uh, friend... John Hagishek, if you know, I don't know if you know who he is, he curates uh, Mormon uh, documents mm -hmm. and Mormon history. Uh, that He made the statement that we have to remember uh, that, it, oh, would he say a thousand sheep were needed to give their sheepskin for the binding of the Book of Mormon? Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's quite the right number, but it's possible Martin Harris gave some of his sheep you know, so to and had a local tan to hide and use for the printing of the Book of Mormon. So it just wasn't the problem of buying the paper then. That was a very big uh, uh, amount of books for an initial printing of any book. You know, 5,000 copies. Right. So I, I want to go back to something you said. Okay. And you said that you don't believe that 
uh, Lucy Harris burnt the manuscript. What do you think ha- happened to it then? Okay, that, that's interesting. That's why this is really a, a good podcast, and I'm good friends with Jonathan Neville, a former Jaguar. You know Jonathan? I do not. It, uh, he lives in Oregon, but okay. he's uh, Jonathan and I have extreme interest in the lost uh, manuscript, but okay, so it makes no sense for Lucy to burn it. I'll, I'll go through this a little, hopefully a little bit in sequence here because why would she have had it it said that the wicked men took the manuscript and were all in it okay so why would they give it back to lucy you know the original copy you know because martin could find around the house i don't you know the, the husband knows where every secret nook and cranny is of his wife where she could hide the manuscript and if martin finds the manuscript it blows up their whole plan to try and discredit joseph smith so and they were going to publish it, and Lucy wouldn't have been the one to negotiate any kind of publishing agreement uh, to publish all their manuscripts. So uh, what Jonathan Neville included me in, it makes sense, and uh, it also makes sense that the lost manuscript was written on foolscap paper, which is 37 lines per page, and so there wasn't a lot of room to... You right. make a lot of alterations between lines. And so Jonathan Neville came up with the thought or hypothesis, you know, being a, a JAG attorney, he's, he knows how to come up with hypotheses, and he presents a lot of evidence for the Heartland model. Uh, but he said there's a good chance that they made a separate copy for the alteration because... Uh, they, and it's just a theory. No one knows for sure. So there could actually be two copies. But one thing they have to realize is that when they say they're going to alter it, they're not going to take all 116 pages and make alterations before they start publishing anything. You know, that would require an extreme length of time. It took Martin and Joseph three months, maybe I think it was close to three months, to come up with 116 pages. So they're going to start altering probably right at the first of the Book of, of Lehi and get a certain amount uh, altered and then start publishing it. Kind of how they started publishing parts of the Book of Mormon from First Nephi and well, Abner Cole be uh, in the, uh, oh, what was the paper then? Wayne County Sentinel or the Palmyra or something. can't remember which paper uh, E.B. Grandin was publishing in late 1829 when Abner Cole was uh, printing the first part. I think there was three uh, portions that were until Joseph Smith uh, confronted him with copyright violations and they almost came to blows and he, Abner backed down. But So that's probably how they would have started publishing the lost manuscript. But I don't know. That's all conjecture. So I believe that it's still out there. There possibly is a, a second copy, but I don't know if that second copy would still be around. Now, uh, one of my future presentations, and uh, and I'm a lot like Don Bradley. You know who Don Bradley mm-hmm. is. Have you met him? I have not. Okay. He's an independent researcher. He's a friend of mine. Uh, we interact every now and again. 
and I called Don Bradley the Captain Kirk of researchers, and Don Bradley's the one who wrote the book, uh, The Lost Manuscript, Restoring the uh, Stories of the Book of Lee. I can't remember the exact title, but he wrote the only book available on the Lost Manuscript, and as far as I'm concerned, that's a topic that nobody else should ever touch, because Don did such a good job with it. And so, but he went somewhere where nobody had ever gone before. And that's what I like about Don Bradley is he's very independent. He doesn't have somebody looking over his shoulder. Uh, like if he was a BYU professor where it's got to be edited and maybe some things censored. Uh, but he's very uh, thorough in his conclusions and so i somewhat follow his example in trying to be an independent researcher and make conclusions and so that's kind of what i'm doing with the his thoughts on the lost manuscripts so uh i would say the people alive today that have the most interest in the lost manuscript is myself jonathan neville uh, don bradley writing the book uh, Susan Easton Black and Larry Porter, who wrote the uh, current biography on Martin Harris uh, that you can buy. Uh, it's a hardbound. And my good friend, uh, Sean Littlebear. Uh, oh, uh, he's from Oklahoma, but I forgot which tribe he's from. Uh, he'll forgive me for that next time I see him. But uh, Sean and I have talked about it hoping that that will come forth because he's interested in the further history of his people that's in the book of Lehi. So uh, it's out there somewhere, I believe, but I don't know where. Uh, it, Lucy didn't burn it. I just think that's fallacy to believe that. There's, But but what makes you think she wouldn't have burned it? I don't think she would have. It makes no sense that they would have given her the copy to, back to her to be the caretaker of the copy. Because Martin could have found it, and then that would have blown up their whole plan. Right. And I think they were planning on continuing to alter it, and so they were going to start publishing the first parts of it, because they, they didn't want to wait two years till they altered the whole thing, and, and plus it would have cost more to try to publish something that's 116 pages. Now, this 116 pages is basically the close to the same length as what we have in our current Book of Mormon from First Nephi to, oh, was it verse 12 in Words of Mormon? Okay, you can tell where the disconnect happened in the lost pages. We, we know that we, uh, it's pretty well figured that we lost the first two chapters of Mosiah, where uh, Mosiah the first went right. to back to the line of his fathers and there's no record of that and there's the narrative's a little bit disjointed so uh but there's it's there's a way to prove and i proved in one of my presentations i'd have to go back and review my notes exactly how i did it but it's basically the same amount of text as what we have in our current book of mormon for the same time period and so if you're going to do that and publish it it'll take in that 
conspiracy probably a year or two before they can finally publish it to discredit Joseph Smith. Well, they're going to want to discredit Joseph Smith as soon as they can. So I believe they're going to print a few chapters at a time and then just work their way through uh, uh, the altering the manuscript. That makes sense. Uh, now, that's my theory. That's my Don Bradley approach. So, so let me yeah. make sure I got this correct. You think that Martin brings the manuscript home to show to Lucy. Mm -hmm. Lucy then passes it along to somebody else who's going to make revisions to it. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so you don't think that the, that manuscript ever got back to Lucy? No. There's okay. no reason for it. It doesn't make any sense. Uh, it's kind of like inferential evidence. If sure. this was, uh, if I was on a witness stand in a court trial saying this, there's no motive for this conspiracy to give Lucy back the original manuscript. But obviously Lucy has a gr uh, an axe to grind with Joseph Smith, right? Yes. She, and what, what, what was her big... Because I want to explore this a little bit okay. because I feel like it, it helps personify who Martin Harris is. If we know what he's up against at home, we can have a better idea of what sacrifices he made. So let's talk about Lucy for just a second. What was her major um, hang-up with the prophet Joseph Smith? What didn't she like? Two things. Uh, that, and that's a good that you brought that up. And I, I love the questions you're asking. It's keeping me on my toes to make sure I can recall everything and to give the answer. Now, the first problem was Lucy came over without Martin to see the place. Now, Joseph brought him home. He sent, I think it was Don Carlos, over to Martin's house. You know, have Martin come. You know, I've got the plates. And Martin was finishing uh, rock work on a fireplace, and he said he'd come in a couple of days after he was done. But Lucy heard, and she came uh, over, and I think she brought Lucy Jr., and came and talked to Joseph Smith, and that's when she gave Joseph Smith the $28. But when she came in, and she was going to give Joseph $28, she said, now I'd like to see the plates. Oh. And Joseph said, no, I can't let you see the plates. And so uh, I think that was the first thing that Lucy uh, had with Joseph Smith, that she always felt slighted. slighted that she didn't see the plates. And she stayed overnight because it was too late to drive back home. And that night is when she had the dream of the angel Moroni coming and showing her the plates. And he, so Lucy actually saw the plates and she could describe them, their size. He turned the leaves over. You know, it was just in a dream and not an actual personal visitation. But she actually was a witness and was able to des describe the size and the rings and everything. So, huh. That's uh, a matter of uh, record, okay. But and also the second thing is, is, she wanted to kind of be the negotiator, and Joseph said, "Well, I'd rather work with the man of the family. You know, I mm -hmm. work with men in my negotiations." So she felt slighted as women, and Joseph was just following the practice of the time. Sure, man to man, it was a little bit. Uh, misogynistic, as we all know, towards women. It's a little bit, quite a bit more so than it is now. Uh, but uh, so, and then 
and here's everything she worked for. Martin wants to sell the farm, and it was causing problems, and she wanted to go to New York, and Martin had to leave in the middle of the night to, so Lucy wouldn't go with him to New York. And so that also caused a, a rift between her and Martin and a rift between her and Joseph. But here, here's, I want to be with my husband. I've worked, and he's going to make this financial contribution technically. I, I earned part of it, and I have no choice where it's going. You know, it's going for what may not even be true. You know, some uh, farm young farm boys, uh, well, he was a adult by then, pipe right. dream. Right. I, I find it interesting that she has a dream where she sees the angel Moroni, and he he presents the plates. Mm-hmm. Look, you wanted to see, here here is something, you know, you gave him $28 anyway, Let's reward your faith a little bit. So, so she has that experience, and yet still turns around and gets rid of the manuscript. Yes. So, so she originally was a believer, and that was right. portrayed in the uh, Martin Harris pageant. And so, the only thing I didn't agree with in the Martin Harris pageant was it showed Lucy burning the manuscript. Everything else was pretty much spot on. So what was her, she has that experience where she has that, that dream a or slash vision. What turns her from that course? Because that's a pretty powerful mm-hmm. witness. What turns her from that to, yeah, I'm going to take these 116 pages that Martin brought home and give them to people who want to destroy the mission of Joseph Smith. What was the incident that really angered her to the point where she she would do that? I think Martin going to New York and leaving her behind was the straw that broke the camel's back. Is that when Martin came back, she kicked him out of the bedroom, you know, put, put him in a separate bed in a different room, oh. and so basically. Uh, and then Martin went to Harmony, and Lucy insisted on going, and Lucy came, and I think he was maybe even going to start to be the scribe, but Lucy went into Joseph's home and ransacked it, trying to find the plates, and Joseph went and buried them out in the woods, and I think there was a little bit of, I don't know if there was snow or you know, a spot where the, he moved the leaves or something, or uh, that... Uh, she could tell that it looked like that's where he'd buried the plates in the ground. And there was a black snake that came up and scared her. And she went back and then Martin had to take her home. And then he went back to harmony without her. And so it's just this combination of things. Okay. And that, that basically that she's mostly that she wasn't able to see the place. She just was so insistent on seeing the place because she donated that $28. And so, and 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 again, the only reason I paint, want to paint that picture is to show what Martin is facing at home. I can yes. only imagine the you can, I can only imagine Martin going to Joseph Smith, seeing what is happening, the way the Lord is moving, and feeling so exuberant and so um, humbled to be a part of that. But then you got to go home. <laughs> Yes. And as you go home, you know you're going to get beat up by your significant other who's not united with you in this process. That is a tremendous strain to be able to, to hold up under. 
and uh, those of us who uh, have our temple goes experience something similar as you, you get you go through the endowment and you're in the celestial room and it's just like you're in heaven and uh, and but you have to go back down why do i have to go to work tomorrow and yeah. you know how am i going to solve this work problem and this problem at home and so it, you know for every high there's a low and the pendulum always swings uh, both directions and so this really is why Martin, he, he, it was dividing his strength. You know, how how could he help Joseph Smith if his family's divided? And it was uh, extremely difficult because divorce didn't happen. It was frowned upon. Uh, separation was frowned upon. It's not like that they lost their love for each other. They just weren't united. And so Lucy just turn more against it and i i can't remember if i said this already or not but i'll say it again is that in one of my future presentations i want to do a police investigation a criminal investigation of suspects in the theft of the lost manuscript and that's something nobody's ever tackled before and i don't i don't even know what i'm up against i have theories and a couple ideas from don bradley and but uh, nobody's gone into it extensively, and I have a finale to that presentation that I'm, I'm not going to give my thunder All right. uh, away. We'll have to but watch. But it's going to be very uh, interesting. It's a string challenge for me because I'm not a legal person. You know, I, right. I just look up stuff on the Internet and try to find the Latin phrases for or describe types of evidence, but... Uh, that's the thing that I love about the Firm Foundation, what you're saying is history, is I have the freedom to go into areas that no one's ever uh, gone before, and that's one of the areas we're going to go into, and there's a few more, and I I can't even get to Martin Harris and Kirtland presentation because I got like two or three more in Palmyra before I get to that point, but so... So let so let's let's do this. We we have a really good idea of what Martin was doing for not just Joseph Smith and his family, but for the restoration. We know that he is struggling at home with his wife Lucy because they're not united on this. Mm-hmm. Martin is then called to Kirtland, correct? Yes. So what's his role in Kirtland? What's he doing in Kirtland? Concerning the restoration. Okay, so he leaves Lucy behind. Uh, oh, let me say one last thing sure. about Lucy. And we talk about Martin gives us hope. Well, what about Lucy giving us hope? And it says in Martin's patriarchal blessing that he would eventually teach his wife. He was given that blessing, I think, in 1835. And she would be saved in the day of eternity. So my first presentation was titled In Defense of Lucy Harris. And where I defend her, and that she can still obtain salvation. But uh, now let's go to Martin, and he goes to Kirtland. Now, there's a a problem. This here's me trying to read between the lines of history again. Is we've got Martin. He's he's the one that's made the offering for the restoration. You know, he's around the thicket. He made the sacrifice. Uh, there's basically been, uh, when I look at Martin's sacrifice, I have a list in my head of four main benefactors 
of the last dispensation who have totally revolutionized uh, the restoration. And the first one's Martin Harris, paying for the Book of Mormon. The second one is John Tanner, paying debts on the Kirtland Temple. If you've mm-hmm. uh, you've seen that video, I can't remember what it's called, but you know who John Tanner is, right? Yep. A third one is Jesse Knight, the son of Newell Knight, the son of Joseph Knight Sr., okay, who was a, the one of the first ones to support the prophet Joseph Smith, and it was his wagon that Joseph went to get the place from. And the fourth one is a contemporary, is Larry and Gail Miller in uh, getting the financing of the Joseph Smith Papers Project. Okay, so, but here's um, Martin making the sacrifice, so he thinks that it's getting some kind of standing in the church. Now, uh, Martin is different than the other two witnesses. Okay, the Joseph is the head of the dispensation. Right. First apostle. Okay, he's... We know that. No argument. No one will ever argue that. Okay. Now, when the Lord, I think it's section 20, says, search out the 12, he's talking to Joseph, Oliver, and David Whitmer, but Martin Harris is left out. So Oliver is known as a second apostle, but David Whitmer has a position that's not talked about, but you read between the lines of history, if he's going to help Oliver seek out the 12 apostles, David Whitmer has to be an apostle himself. Okay. And if you change, not change, if you trace your priesthood lineage, right. uh, and all, uh, all of us who do that, who do we go back through? We end up to like maybe Brigham Young, who received it from the three witnesses. Now, the three witnesses ordain the 12 apostles, and Joseph probably was there too, uh, either under his direction or he participated in the circle. We don't know for sure. But you can't give an office in the priesthood that you don't already hold. Right. And so, like, Martin couldn't give Joseph $50 if he didn't have $50 in silver sitting in his drawer. So uh, Martin, in order to uh, participate in ordaining the 12 apostles, has to be an apostle himself. You know, you, you can't, if you're in a ward, if you're ordaining someone, a high priest, you can't have someone in the circle that's uh, just an elder. You know, they have, uh, they have to have right. a, a group of high priests. And, and so it's the same thing. And so, uh, but, and so Martin, this is me reading between the lines, Ian, I don't believe that he's an actual apostle in uh, 1830. Uh, Thirty. You know, actually, he was ordained a high priest in June of eighteen thirty-one at a conference of the church. So, in a sense, uh, Oliver Cowdery and David Whitmer are ahead of him, and that they're apostles before him. Now, now this is not anything to do with the quorum of the twelve or first presidency. The three witnesses are a one-time quorum of this dispensation, quorum of three apostles who bear testimony to the world of the truth of the Book of Mormon, and all these claims that they, Martin denied his testimony to some of the original Quorum of the Twelve, and because he said he saw him with his spiritual eyes, that doesn't hold up. It's all hearsay evidence. The key to the testimony of the three witnesses is the statement in the Book of Mormon, it's an affidavit. Right. Um, And if you have a court case, an affidavit will always trump hearsay evidence. Right. And so the only way 
the three witnesses could have denied their testimony would have been to insist that their names be taken off that statement in the Book of Mormons that are being passed out. But the the first edition lasted, I think, uh, seven years. And, you know, it's kind of like feathers. You have a bag of feathers, you throw them in the wind, and I'll go pick up all the feathers. You can't do it. So there's no way to take that testimony out of printed books that are... Uh, or given out all over, you know. And sure. Sure. You know, like missionaries give out Book of Mormons, and so uh, that 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 was their number one main mission, and that's why I will still defend David Whitmer. Is that in his number one mission, he will be given credit for not denying his testimony, and the same with Oliver Cowdery and Martin Harris, but. So you have Joseph first apostle, Alder second, David Whitmer third, okay, and Martin Harris is the fourth apostle. So when they say David Whitmer possibly could have been president of the church, there's a little bit of possible truth to that, in my opinion, because he was the third apostle. And, you know, I think he apostatized after Oliver Cowdery. And that so... Uh, and and we do know he was president of the church in Missouri. So right. I don't know if he ever would become president of the whole church after Joseph's death. We, we'll never know that because right. you know, he apostatized and never came back. So that's one of the questions in history we'll never know the answer to. So, But Martin just is probably feeling slighted because, you know, I'm just a high priest and they put me on the high council and here's Oliver having all these experiences with Joseph and David Whitmer, these whippersnappers, and they didn't give up their family and they're these young guys. And so I don't know if there was jealousy there. Possibly there was some, but but what Martin probably didn't fully realize is I look at him as kind of the traveling witness that he actually went on missions and he went to Michigan, went to uh, Pennsylvania uh, on missions and to bear testimony of uh, the Book of Mormon. And uh, there is one thing that's interesting uh, about uh, Martin Harris, and I don't, this is what I believe is the truth, but I can't prove it, is uh, and I have all sorts of unique things happen to me in my search on this journey. I thought it was just going to be like uh, maybe doing a research paper, three or four presentations, I'd be done and I'd be back in Rod's uh, audience listening to Rod and Wayne and Jonathan Neville and Hannah Starter give presentations. And it hasn't been like that. And so one experience that I had is... I went to a fireside where someone had original Book of Mormon. And I won't say who the gentleman is. I tried to contact him, but I went up and looked at it, and he turned the cover, and I looked at the name. Boy, I picked up on the name like nobody else would have picked up on the name. And I believe that original Book of Mormon was the Book of Mormon that came into the possession or was given to Martin Harris's aunt because of the name, because the last name was Latham, and that's the same name as 
Martin's mother. Last name is Martin's mother. Hmm. And so, and it came down and, you know, the story of how it got found. And I, I don't feel that I have the liberty to relate it. But I, uh, the gentleman, I never was able to make contact with him. I feel bad. But uh, there's a good chance that I saw the original Book of Mormon that was given to Martin's aunt. I don't know if Martin gave it personally or if he left copies with his mom and dad and they gave it to her when they came for a visit. I don't know, but it was another interesting thing. So, but like I say, Martin's a traveling witness. Uh, the three witnesses did go with Joseph Smith to Michigan uh, when they converted Edward Stevenson. Uh, Martin did go to now, Edward, that's important because Edward Stevenson is, is the one that brought Martin Harris to Utah. But Martin did go to uh, Independence when Joseph Smith first went to Independence. And where the Lord promised him, I'll you go to Missouri, I'll reveal to you where the temple lot is and the center stake of Zion. And so Martin went with Joseph Smith and there was six brethren uh Martin Harris, uh, six or seven, I can't remember. Uh, was it Joseph Martin, Joseph Coe? Oh, was it Sidney Gilbert? I can't remember all six of them. I'd have to go back to church history. But Martin Harris was there when Joseph dedicated the temple lot. And, and Martin Harris actually was the first person to put forth money to start purchasing land for the city of Independence, for the center stake of Zion. And so Martin is a lot the he you think he's the last amongst the the witnesses because he's just a high priest. Uh, I don't know when he was ordained an apostle, but uh, you know he's just on the high council or uh, David Whitmer's president of the church in Missouri. Oliver Cowdery's Joseph's uh, right hand man, and here's Martin just on the high council, you know, and don't even have a wife and got you know and. So I don't know if he felt that way, but it's it's human that he did. He had to fight that, I'm sure. So, but he just had so many things was first. He was the first person probably to hear about the first vision outside of the Smith family. First person to hear about the uh, gold plates. Uh, first person to, to put forth money to buy the center sacred Zion on the the first one in the first group to know where the city of Zion, where the temple lot was. He was in the uh, United firm, which would the lit was included the literary firm of the church to publish uh, literature for the church. You know, like pamphlets and periodicals. Right. You know, they 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 weren't to the point where they needed to reprint the Book of Mormon until 1837. And so uh, Martin really was more of didn't realize what he had. This is my opinion, and uh, and he worried too much about what he didn't have, and and that's a human nature. I mean, I, I'm the same way. You sure. Know, here I am with a disease that has cut down my mobility and ability to get out, and I think, whoa, I can't do what I used to do. But also, I have more time to study and research and uh, interact with people. And with my disease, I interact with people from. Uh, all over the world. Uh, that's one thing I love about social media, and you probably have listeners to this podcast from all over the world. Mm -hmm. it's, it, it's everything's changed uh, of how we can get the message out of the gospel, and so 
uh, you know, this is kind of Martin and Kirtland, and he kind of plays low key, and he he uh, doesn't ever divorce Lucy. He goes back to Palmyra about five times, and one of the things that's just recently come out, and it's in the biography by Susan Easton Black, is when Martin was a member of Zion's camp, and you know he was right. playing with the black snake and got bit, and Joseph had to come and reprimand him, and. Uh, that story and uh but uh, there's a quote from George Albert Smith the prophet's cousin that on Zion's camp uh Martin Harris took his son George so George was never baptized now I am a descendant of George and I got to remember I've got to still tell that part of the story uh so Martin did have his son go with him on Zion's camp uh but and then he probably took him back to Palmyra, and so we come down through Kirtland. Now, uh, now it's probably a good time to maybe go into how I descend from Martin Harris, and then we'll uh, pick up the story. Pick again. up the story a little bit later because I I don't want to miss it. It's sure. it's too important. It's it's my uniqueness. Now, uh, one of the examples of the disconnect that I discovered is I have a friend down the street who's a descendant of Edward Stevenson. Uh, Edward mm. Stevenson was partially converted right. by the testimony of Martin Harris because uh, he was a young boy in Michigan. And when Joseph and the three witnesses went and preached the gospel in Michigan, you probably read about right. the Michigan yep. mission. So when uh, Edward Stevenson, as a member of the presidency of the 70 and the most traveled missionary of the church, uh, distance-wise, uh, particularly because of the railroad, he was able to travel more, uh, is the one who arranged to bring Martin Harris to Utah. So, okay, so we go back to Martin and Lucy Harris. Okay, Martin and Lucy Harris, uh, they... There's new genealogy out that they thought they had a son, Henry, but it doesn't appear to be correct, even though it's on, I think, Lucy's headstone. So they have a son, George, and George comes to Kirtland, spends time with his father, and then goes, his father takes him back. I can't remember how old it would have been then. I think a, a teenager. Okay. So uh, Martin goes back to Palmyra about five times. And it's really interesting. You can see some of the land transactions, and you can actually see the recording in a logbook of the transaction of the transfer of the property to Thomas uh, Lakey or L-A-K-E-Y and how the woman, Mrs. Granger, came from uh, England with 3,000 in gold coins. And that's a miracle in and of itself, uh, how it was... He was able to pay off uh, the mortgage, and oh, it's there's a lot of legal issues involved. I won't go into that, and I don't remember all the details. But so uh, George stays in Kirtland, uh, not Kirtland. Well, he does for a while, and then he goes back to Palmyra and stays with his mother. And Lucy dies in early in eighteen thirty-six, and then Martin remarries the daughter of John Young, who is the oldest brother of President Brigham Young right. from the Young family. 
and <clears throat> there's a lot of age difference. You know, it's you know you kind of something you hardly even find in Hollywood. There's I think thirty two or thirty three years age difference. Caroline's wow. uh, twenty and Martin's fifty three, and so Martin stays. In Kirtland, you know, when the Saints go to Missouri, Martin never went to Missouri. When Joseph Smith left, he stayed in Kirtland. He raised his family in Kirtland. So Martin and Caroline have, I think, ooh, six or seven children. Uh, Caroline comes west, separate from Martin. Well, let me be a little more descriptive here. So, okay. Okay. Uh, we're, we're, we're going past, we're still in Kirtland, but this is after uh, most of the saints have left and Joseph Smith has left. And so uh, I know that Martin was there at the Kirtland Temple dedication. And uh, one thing about Martin Harris, he didn't keep a diary, so we don't know a lot of his history other than from uh, outside sources. Uh, he had the falling out with Joseph Smith in the Kirtland banking crisis after the temple dedication. He stayed in Kirtland. He's quite wishy-washy. He goes, uh, you know, every wind of doctrine to and fro, he's, you know, he thinks he, this person should be president, James Strang, Dave Whitmer, William Smith. Uh, I, I don't even like to dwell on that. That's really not the purpose of this podcast to overdwell on the negative other than just a little bit to refer to it so we can learn from it. But then then in 1841, there's this rumor that Martin Harris got shot by the, some Mormons that came and hunted him down from Missouri and you know shot dead, shot through the head. And uh, that was totally untrue. It was printed in some of the newspapers. But in 1842, the missionaries go back to Kirtland, and Martin's repentant, and he's actually rebaptized into the church. So uh, that's documented. And if anyone really wants to know about Martin Harris, get the book by Susan Easton Black and Larry Porter. It's very thorough. And so he's rebaptized into the church. So uh, now the interesting thing about Kirtland is not all the saints left Kirtland. I mean, faithful saints. There were some other faithful saints that stayed in Kirtland. They actually had a branch of the church in Kirtland. So uh, Martin Harris, he's kind of the appointed caretaker of the Kirtland temple. He takes people on tours through the temple. There's even a spot in one of the uh, wood pillars that they, in a spot of the temple that they don't allow uh, tourists to go through where the initials M.H. are carved in the hmm. wood pillar. I've got a picture of it. And we feel that that was probably Martin Harris that did that. And so so they're in Kirtland. Uh, so he never went to Nauvoo. Oh, you know, Lucy's died. He's remarried. George is in, uh, stays in Palmyra. And then... So, in the Martin has friends there in Kirtland that are faithful, and that the families are like the Dixons, the Simons, and the Whitemans, and 
they finally get the urge to come west or the desire to come west and join the saints, you know, because it was after 1847. And so these families, Orwell Simons, uh, Christopher Flintoff Dixon, uh, Charles Whiteman, uh, they come west and it's oh or mid 1850s 1854 I, I like i said i don't have all my details no you're here, good but, but it's i'm close i'm within five years but they uh they come west and they settle in pace in utah the town where i live now this is where there's some more interesting history here and when i talk about how i'm descended from martin harris and so now we come to 1856. Now in 1856, uh, Caroline is pregnant with their last child. It turns out to be Ida May Harris. Okay. Now Martin's in his seventies. Uh, I think about see 1856. He's 72 or oh 70, barely turning 73, and his wife's 40. So, uh, now when she's, Caroline's pregnant, she decides enough's enough. You no, know, her friends had left. She was good, likely good friends with the Whitemans, Dixons, and the Simons. She wants to join her family. I think she kind of stood up to Martin and said, I'm going west. You, you, you can either come or I'll go alone. And so it was originally thought that Martin just said, goodbye and i thought well that's pretty heartless and martin harris what kind of man would send a pregnant wife to go from kirtland to uh iowa was canesville in potawatomi county iowa with only his oldest son martin harris jr who would have been probably maybe 18 close to 18 years old to drive the wagon now that that's a very improper uh, thought or portrayal of Martin Harris that, you know, he's pretty heartless. I don't, and but that was thought for years and years and years until uh, indexing came out in index records and Susan Easton Black or uh, found the record of uh, Iowa State Census taken Oh, I think in 1856, and it shows Martin Harris being in Iowa in 1856. Mm. So Martin Harris actually went and took Caroline to uh, Iowa and appeared maybe planning on coming west with her. I don't know, but when he was there, they stayed and had to get ready, you know, to prepare for the trip. You know how if they had enough supplies, but Martin still had business in Kirtland, so he went back to Kirtland and made a land transaction. And this is all documented by Susan Easton Black in the biography. And he never returned to Iowa. So Caroline Young uh, Harris and her family, she's got a new baby, and she wouldn't have wanted to travel right away with a new sure. baby. Uh, born in uh, May of 1856, Ida May. You know, Ida May really plays a big part 
in my heritage that is coming up here in the story. And I've never told the story publicly until right now. So that's why I'm excited about mm-hmm. the number of listeners that you've got. Uh, so, okay. So it's, I, oh, she comes, I think it's 1859 or 1860. The item age three or four years old. Feels strong enough to make the trip. And she figures, Martin, she's done with Martin. He doesn't come back in that three-year period. Uh, the law of the prairie is kind of, you know, if you're separated for three years, it's a, it's a divorce. A divorce, you know, because it's not like you can travel back and forth and sign the papers and hop on a plane and go travel five or six hundred miles and get the paperwork signed and then fly back. It, 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 the law of the prairie, because of the length of time for travel, was pretty well understood and so Caroline basically considered herself divorced from Martin and she uh, meets a gentleman uh, John Catley Davis who uh, his first wife died and they become acquainted and uh, and they come across I believe they were in the same uh, wagon train was it Horton Hay- D. Hayes wagon train I can't remember but they come across about the same time and they get to Salt Lake Valley in 1860 okay and it's John Catley Davis and Caroline decide to get married okay the law of the prairie no Martin he's too stubborn I waited Caroline figures she waited uh, 20 years for Martin to soften up and come and join the saints and he never did and part of the problem that martin harris had with brigham young and not martin not wanting to come to utah was martin was still of the belief that the saints should gather in missouri and that not necessarily out west so because martin had no he had a financial interest in that property. He donated property right. to the Missouri, and he felt like he had an inheritance there. So uh, I don't. He may have had other disagreements with Brigham Young. I don't know for sure. But so we get back to 1860. Uh, John Catley Davis and Caroline Young get married, and Martin's daughter Julia and John Catley Davis's son Walter also get married. And I think they get married at the same time in the endowment house. They were actually sealed marriages. They were fully converted. Sure. And so, but what's interesting is after they get married, Caroline and John Catley Davis moved to Payson, where I live. And they moved to Payson most likely because that's where Caroline's friends were, of the, the, the Simons, the Dixons, and the Whitemans who came across about the same time, all ended up settling in Payson. And so it makes sense that that's why Caroline went there. And I think in the 1860 census, she only lived three or four houses away from Orwell Simons, who was one of the founders of Payson. So they live in Payson. They blend the two families, uh, Walter and Julia, uh, I think to stay in Salt Lake uh, after they get married, they don't move to Payson. But uh, Ida May actually she's young, and she ends up spending uh, some of her younger years with her older sister and Walter away from home. I think she's in the eighteen 
60 cents is not being a pace. And I, I'd have to go back and finally review my details. I get so many details going through my head. But okay, so they live in Payson. Uh, Christopher Flintoff Dixon is one of their uh, good friends. Right. Uh, he's also one of the original settlers of Payson. Uh, he builds a home. Uh, I think it's in 1862-63, and our home was just down the street from me. And now it's interesting, when I moved to Payson, I wanted to be close enough to the city, but uh, to a rural atmosphere, and homes were a little cheaper. I moved to Payson about 15 years ago, and I was going to buy another home in Payson, and all ready to go by, went and looked at it, and there was a neighbor parked in our driveway, and I said, I don't want to fight with the neighbor using our that driveway of this house we were going to buy and have disagreements with the neighbors. So let's go find another house. And we ended up buying another house. And house I'm still in. And right down the street is this house built in 1862 by uh, Christopher Flintoff Dixon. It actually, actually has a plaque on it. Hmm. Now that house uh, that's interesting is the Dixon family and the Stevenson family, Edward Stevenson, who brought Martin right. West, we'll get to that a little bit later, uh, ended up intermarrying, and that house owned by Christopher, or originally owned, built by Christopher Flintoff Dixon and owned by Christopher Flintoff Dixon is still standing. And it's just down the street from me, so it'd now be 160 years old. And now where this is interesting is the, the birth of my desire to give presentations as far as actually doing it. We all have ideas we never get to. It's like, I don't know how long you were thinking of doing a podcast before you finally Whatever it takes. Yeah. jumped into the water and jumped in the deep end. I got to sink or swim. That's what you're doing now. You didn't just stick your toe in the water and decide you didn't want to do it. Is So I gave a family home evening fireside on Martin Harris in the Christopher Flintoff Dixon wow. home and it's possible I don't know for sure no way of knowing till I die and ask Grandma Caroline that Caroline Young could have been in that house that my first Martin Harris presentation was in the home that my great great grandmother Caroline Young Harris was in wow it must have been an experience uh, so uh, and so then we can come to 1867 and uh her Caroline's husband, John Catley Davis, has some kind of falling out with Brigham Young over a land issue. And he gets disenchanted with the church. And Caroline and uh, John Catley Davis actually have a son that lived three days. It's, it was buried in the old Payson Cemetery. I'm not sure of the location. but So Caroline sided with her uh, father and her uncle Brigham, and that kind of split up the marriage and i don't know if they were uh still lived together uh we know that there was a time that they moved from payson to salt lake okay but then something happened in 1869 that complicated things and now we're getting to something that's very interesting that people don't know about Martin Harris, what he faced when he first came to Utah. So in 1869, uh, Martin's daughter, Julia, who's married to John Catley Davis's son, Walter, dies soon after childbirth. And she has two younger children. And so uh, Walter works for the 
uh, telegraph. You know, so he has to leave town quite a bit. You know, he worked at a telegraph station. It's thought that maybe he's the one who sent the telegraph when at the driving of the Golden Spike in 1869. But he doesn't have a wife to take care of these two young children. And so Caroline Young gets back with her husband, John Catley Davis, to help take care of the children. Okay, and in the 1870 census, they're back together. Okay, in the 1870 census, I uh, you know sometime in the summers when they took it. So, and in 1870 is when Martin Harris comes west with Edward Stevenson. Now, one of the main things that helped Martin Harris coming west was the railroad. Because had he had to come by wagon, he very likely wouldn't have come because he's like 87, 88 years old. It, right. It would have been too hard on him. So he comes west. He meets the saints in Iowa. He's totally a pauper by then, has absolutely nothing, the shirt on his back. And the saints in Iowa buy him a new suit of clothes, which is an interesting fulfillment of the scripture in Ecclesiastes of casting your bread upon the water and after many days it will return to you. I'm paraphrasing is that when he gave Joseph the $50, he bought Joseph a new suit. And then, uh, you know, 1827, uh, 43 years later, close to that, the saints buy him a new suit because he can't afford one. You know, he's given everything for the gospel's sake and, he, in his later years, he wasn't able to keep sustaining right. himself. He was a pauper. He was kind of almost put in a poorhouse there in Kirtland. He, so, <laughs> and so he and he bears testimony, and he comes on to in one of the hotels, and he he comes west, and he comes to uh, Utah, and he wants to see his children, Caroline, and. So he goes and meets Caroline, but there's this problem. <laughs> Caroline's there with John Catley Davis, and they probably weren't divorced. So we have a situation of polyandry in the early days of the church, and it involved Martin Harris. So here we've got Caroline Young, you know, at this meeting that appears to have taken place, and she's got two husbands in the room. Not divorced from either one of them, other than from Martin. It was a, a law of the prairie divorce, but she never expected to see him again. And so you can imagine how she felt. You know, what's the saints going to think? What do I do? Uh, two husbands, and I'm really kind of estranged from both of them, even though I'm still in the same house as John Catley Davis. And uh, Caroline Young uh, eventually moved to Smithfield to live with her son, Martin Harris, Jr., Martin uh, Harris uh, moved to and lived in the house next to her. I think she, the, with the Littlefields, it was Caroline Young's sister. Uh, so, but they never reconciled, and she never reconciled with John Catley Davis. And so, uh, Ida May goes with him. Now, Ida May gets married very young to someone named. Uh, Oh, William Harrison Penrod, I think it was. And she has several children, and she gets divorced. So we have Ida May living there in, uh, uh, well, I'm not sure where she lives. 
north of Salt Lake somewhere. Sure. Uh, and then we have George back in Palmyra and in 1860 before Martin came west he's he had gone to Kirtland and he is in the 1860 census in the same house as his father Martin George gets married to a woman named Mary Jane Thompson as far as far as I know this is George's first marriage they have two children and then George Martin and Lucy's son gets divorced from his wife he has his first son Alma Martin and Henry uh, George uh, enlists in the Union Army in the Civil War and gets killed in Virginia in some kind of battle by I can't remember which city uh, it's it's a matter of record because there's a, sure. a a pension that lists the location and the date and everything so we have Alma Martin Harris and uh, Henry Harris that stay with their mother. George goes off the army, gets killed. So uh, uh, Mary Jane Thompson Harris and her parents are there in, uh, in Kirtland and buried in the Kirtland Cemetery. So when I visited the Kirtland Cemetery in a church history tour, I had direct line ancestors in the, one of the Kirtland Cemeteries, and I didn't even know it. You know, they had stones that are the monuments there that are still standing. And so uh, Mary Jane Thompson Harris gets remarried. And so uh, Alonzo Wilson, I think, was the name of the, her husband. And so he raises her two sons. And the Alan Martin Harris is not there in the 1880 census. I don't. So he had already left home and nobody knows exactly what he did other than he eventually made his way west as sometime around oh boy, my mind's gone like the late eight mid 1880s or something like that and now he's not a, a believer in the gospel he's probably been taught a little bit of the gospel from his mother he's got a first name after somebody sure. in the book of mormon so but as far as we know he never was baptized, but other than posthumously, but he comes out and he ends up somewhere in Idaho. And Ida May is divorced with oh six, seven children. I'm not, I can't remember for sure. And then Alma Martin and Ida May decide to get married, and they're closely related. So, genealogically speaking. I don't know if this has ever happened before, but uh, Ida May married her uh, half-brother once removed. I don't even know how to describe it. Her stepbrother once removed, half-brother once removed. I, I've had discussions with my sister, who's an indexing director, and we've never actually figured out how to describe it. And so uh, that's the joke in the family is that's where I get my craziness from now. Uh, now, my friend down the street that's a descendant of Edward Stevenson, he told me he didn't know Martin Harris had any descendants in the church. So there's, there we've got another disconnect. And and if you, when you used to go to the Martin Harris pageant, they would ask, will descendants of Martin Harris stand up? And a bunch of people would stand up. So Martin has hundreds of descendants in the church that come through Caroline. Okay. 
uh, you know, so they, they had seven children. Uh, I think three or four lived to maturity. Uh, and so Alma Martin and Ida May get married and they have two children, you know. So I don't know if there was any genetic problem. I don't know if there's anything that's shown up, but it was kind of awkward and it's fun to look at it on a genealogical sheet. Now, just one generation removed and it goes back to the same point of Martin Harris, but uh, through uh, different wives because Martin had two wives. And so Ida May has a son and Ida May has a daughter. Now, Ida May, remember, is a daughter of Martin Harris. Right. Okay, and uh, Caroline Young. And so Ida, that, Ida May had that son, and that son is my grandfather, Linford, and he uh, was raised by his parents, but uh, Ida May had some kind of disease and she had to have uh, she was allergic to was it, was it is Quincy a disease or the treatment I can't remember I can't remember either but some kind of allergic reaction and she lost her mental capacities and then her, her Alma Martin had a mental breakdown and the state of Idaho came in broke up the family and my uh, grandfather and his sister had to go to a boarding school and then they were adopted out to a Linford family who is descended from John Linford, who died at Six Crossing the day of the rescue and is in the film uh, 17 Miracles. So that's how close I am to Martin Harris. And I knew my grandfather Linford until I was 10 years old when he died. He just died, I think, at 69. His mother was... Martin Harris's youngest daughter. So, so uh, I, I was born in 1954, and Martin Harris was born in 1783. And there's five generations uh, going through Caroline Young. So I don't, it's about 40 years or over 40 years per generation. It just seems like the you know everybody's had a child in their late years and that and it just that continued sure. down it's really interesting and so uh, that's how i'm related to caroline young and then i go back through alma martin harris through a blood relationship uh, to lucy harris but it's one more generation in there, it's uh, so Lucy Harris is my great 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 grandmother, Caroline Young Harris. Now it's Lucy Harris Harris because they were cousins. So sure, uh, Harris was her uh, maiden name, uh, her knee, uh, N E E, and Caroline Young is my great great grandmother. So and so my grandfather uh, eventually, when he was adopted out, he was baptized into the church, but. It's only through the descendants of uh, of my grandfather and his sister, uh, Irma mine, I think her name was, that those descendants are the only ones that come from Lucy Harris. Okay. But they're the church members, and you know, maybe there's a hundred of us by now. Uh, I don't know for sure. But 99.99% uh, .99 of the church has no clue 
the Lucy Harris has descendants that are members of the church. That mm. it you know it kind of took three or four generations for maybe that curse to be removed. You know it says the curse continues to the third and fourth generation, but, right? And then the Lord starts to reclaim the fruit. Uh, I do. I'm I'm very big on reclaiming these lost branches, and in the, in the conversation we had before this podcast, that's we're really aligned with that. Is that one of the things we want to do now is start reclaiming these lost branches. You know, it's just, uh, we got to realize that when it says in the uh, book of Lehi in his dream that these people wandered off and were lost, well, the Savior said, none of those that the Father has given me shall be lost. So when what do you do when someone's lost? What does search and rescue do? They get a search party and they go find it, whether the person's dead or alive, and they find out for sure and try to save a life. And so that's what kind of where we've come to is that the Lucy Harris branch has now come back into the mother tree. And I was going to give a presentation on this uh, in last expo, but my health prevented me, but I'm going to give it next spring on uh, Jacob chapter five and how we need to get more of these branches through, uh, extensive side branch genealogy more than just our four generations with sure. what with indexing and everything we find on the internet uh that you know we're just in a whole new day and age it's not only just in knowledge it's in uh, genealogy and there's so much we can do so uh we so that's kind of my story of how i'm descended from Martin Harris twice, so I guess it's a double witness. So and it's really a different s- story, and I guess it's now out in public. And if you get twelve to fifteen thousand listeners, twelve to fifteen thousand people now know my story. It's kind of interesting to be in a podcast with just two people and me to realize I'm actually speaking to twelve to fifteen thousand potentially. I don't know yeah. how many you'll uh, yeah you'll get. So go ahead, I'll let you. I need no. the rest of my voice. No, you're good. So, just to make sure I'm understanding correct, you are related to Martin Harris by Caroline Young. Yes. Okay. All right. That that kind of puts that into perspective because that's a pretty straight line, right? I mean, yes. you're you're talking going right back to to Caroline Young who was married to Martin Harris. That is that is one of those things that I wish I had. Right, because mm-hmm. my family is so scattered, no, yes. no Mormon influence. I have none of that. I'm like churned up under a rock, and here I am, kind of, kind of genealogy stuff, right? And to hear that kind of story, that it go, that that it's not that far removed. Um, no, there, there was, there, there's a, a comedian slash podcaster I listen to. And uh, he was talking about um, uh, if you put it in terms of people, you know, person lives to about 100. Well, if you go look back towards the revolutionary period, that's like three people ago, right? In your case, it's like two people ago, right? Mm -hmm. You you are that directly descended from somebody that was instrumental in the coming forth, not only of the Book of Mormon, but the Restoration, right? It's not without the support of Martin Harris, 
that Joseph Smith can get his work done. Mm-hmm. So I, I find that extremely interesting. Let's return back real quick to the story, Martin's overall story, because I feel like Martin's story is is interesting in the sense that it is both um, inspiring, a cautionary tale, as well as a redemption story, right? Mm-hmm. I, I think there's something that, that everybody can take away from there. So let's go back to Kirtland. Martin has given up a tremendous amount. He's given up his first wife. He, he it sounds like some of his children are estranged at that point. He's given up money, land, and to top it all off, he feels somewhat slighted, as as you indicated, because he's not in that upper echelon. Mm-hmm. Are the are those the things that really lead to Martin's apostasy? Do you think? I'm sure it had something to do with it, you know, because when we all get get tempted, we get wrong ideas coming into our head, they push, nudge, 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 and then there's one big thing that makes or breaks us. So when it came time to face the Kirtland banking crisis and... You know, Martin didn't even lose any money in it. Right. You know, it's As one, you said, yeah. It's one thing if you're like uh, some of the other brethren that went to get their money and the doors closed and Warren Parrish is telling them, sorry, you know, no money. Or I, uh, maybe Warren Parrish, I think he was the banker or sure. the clerk or something. Uh, so really, that really doesn't make a lot of sense for Martin to totally apostatize over the Kirtland banking crisis because it did not affect him financially because right. he never joined, as it says in the film, The Witnesses. That's correct, historically correct. But there had to have been something that just kept leading him to it and leading to it. And, you know, he, he was just overpowered by the evil influence of the the you know the rampant the the other side of the pendulum from the uh dedication of the Kirtland Temple when people saw angels and some of them saw what they felt either the Peter and maybe the Savior that came in to accept the dedication and Joseph and Oliver see the Savior and have the prophets come and restore the keys. The, here it is the biggest high of the church and then they have the biggest low of the church. You know, we, uh, I don't know, a little over a year later, uh, where they have the confrontation in the temple, where right. it almost turns to, you know, people pulling out Bowie knives and yep. almost turn into a bloodbath. And Brigham Young had to stand up and defend Joseph Smith. So you are right. There had to have been something that history has hidden that led to Martin's apostasy. And it's really kind of too bad because I feel had Martin stayed with the church, I believe he would have been called to go to England. And I believe he very possibly, one of those questions in history we'll never know the answer to, uh, could have bore testimony before Queen Victoria and Prince Albert. God may have opened that way. What what better way to... Uh, Barry testimony before the King and Queen of England. And we know, I think it was 
uh, Lorenzo Snow that got an audience finally, or one of the apostles finally with uh, Queen Victoria, but uh, so I don't know that. That's just my opinion. But you know, so there's just so many things. And oh, there's one thing I, I wanted to give it as an example of uh, how I'm a little bit of a uh, maverick in my approach. And it, it goes back to Joseph Smith. And it's a little bit about uh, what I said about Martin being an apostle. And uh, Joseph Smith in 1826 didn't get the place. We know that. Right. Uh, originally, it, it said he thought it was going to take Al Alvin. He had, he, the Lord wanted someone to go with him. Uh, maybe to just keep the, the horses from uh, bowling. wandering, bowling while he went alone. So he had to go alone to get the place. He had to meet Moroni. And there was nobody that could go to that last conversation with Moroni, uh, except Joseph he had to go alone. But, and so he did. He doesn't get the place in 1826, and but he gets them in 1827. One, it was a day of the Feast of Trumpets, so there's significance in Moroni's trumpet uh, on the statues of the temples. But uh, Joseph is also beginning the restoration. He's also in the position of a kind of like a presiding bishop, mm -hmm. kind of like a, a, a John the Baptist. He, he's following the spirit of Elias, and we got to realize that. Joseph Smith, and begin with in the Book of Mormon, the Book of Mormon follows the spirit of Elias. And, you know, they throw darts in the Book of Mormon. Where's the temple work? Where's the endowment? Da 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 da. The Book of Mormon's given to the world. It contains the fullness of the gospel of salvation in the spirit of Elias. And then the Lord gives more. It's in Doctrine and Covenants and uh, the spirit of Elijah and so forth. You know, of what leads to exaltation. So right. there's a fullness of the gospel of salvation, fullness of the gospel of exaltation. So if Joseph's like a presiding bishop, which we know is the Aaronic priesthood, spirit of Elias, uh, it, Paul says a bishop needs to have one wife. Now, Joseph doesn't have the priesthood yet, but he's acting in the office of a bishop. So because he's presiding over the dispensation and taking the plates out of the ground, giving them to Joseph is really when, uh, like cutting the birthday cake and taking the first piece. Right. Uh, this is where the rubber hits the road. Joe's really going to have to do something now because he's got the plates. And so he's like a presiding bishop. He needs to have one wife. And so he was uh, married be between, uh, right. by the time uh, September 22nd, 1827 came around, and he took Emma with him to get the plates. Alvin had already died, but it, so he took his wife. So he was as a presiding bishop, office of presiding bishop. He took Emma. Now that's the type of conclusions I draw from my research, and you know, you, you won't find it in a manual. It, I don't know that it's even controversial, but it's some may think it's controversial, but it's my opinion, and I do that kind of conclusions, make those conclusions on my own merit. So, uh, now getting back to Martin, yeah, I really don't know what, if it, it had to have been jealousy. It had to have been some kind of jealousy. Uh, maybe it's jealousy of, you know, not only had he given up his property, but his family, and he sees all these brethren that are, you know, not having to make a sacrifice and getting in favor and 
They were just learning about priesthood offices and didn't understand that Joseph said that all offices in the priesthood or callings in the church are honorable and you shouldn't put one above another. And it, what you should do is be faithful in what calling you're given. And they didn't understand the role of families in eternity because the most important position we can obtain to in this life is father and mother. Yep. You know, uh, you know it, 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 we learned that uh, kind of in the endowment. is like if a member goes through the endowment and there's an apostle there, uh, they receive the same thing. Uh, I had a friend that uh, explained it as the great equalizer. The endowment's the great equalizer. Sure. And, and your father. So like in the millennium or, oh, maybe after this life, we won't know each other as uh, bishop so-and-so. Uh, Bishop uh, uh, Wilson. Okay, I'll just the first name came to my head. It would be Father Wilson. You know that will be organized in families. That the the offices of the church are to bring us to Christ, and like Paul said, and you know, perfecting the saints, right? Take care of the poor, uh, the missionary work, uh, etc. Get the saints to the temple, redeem the dead, and so forth. So. Uh, there it had to have been a lot of jealousy, and I, Martin was accused for uh, help, causing the apostasy of three of the original quorum of the twelve because they didn't take what he said or mistook what he said. He misspoke. He wasn't an orator like Oliver uh, Cowdery, and he said, "I saw him with my spiritual eyes," and you know who in their physical eyes is going to sure. walk outside and see an angel. You know, of course you've got to be spiritualized. Almost has to be some kind of uh, transformation, almost to the point of a transfiguration Transfiguration that took place, like happened on the Mount of Transfiguration when uh, Peter, James, and John uh, heard the voice of the Father and uh, saw Moses and Elijah. So, uh, like I say, it just comes back to the affidavit and, you know, yeah, no, and 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 he never denied seeing the Book of Mormon, right? No. I mean, he 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 stayed firm with that all the way through. So after the apostasy in Kirtland, does Martin ever go to Missouri? What before we say that, what brings Martin back? Okay, he never goes to Missouri. Okay, he never goes to Nauvoo. Uh, he gets visited by missionaries every now and again and he finally gets visited by edward stevenson now edward stevenson boy is one of my i have a closeness to edward stevenson because what he taught me just by his example of what it's like to go and search his lost sheep and do something about it Okay, Edward, they, they bring him young starts to get messages back from Martin Harris, and they're starting to talk with Martin Harris. He's getting older, and but Edward Stevenson makes it his mission. Okay, remember the first quorum of the seventy, mm -hmm. uh, and this is a parable of the lost sheep, and probably no. Stronger example, the parable of the lost sheep exists in this dispensation than bringing Martin Harris to Utah. 
And so Edward Stevenson does something about it and starts raising money to buy Martin's train ticket to bring him west. And so he goes, and because they have this friendship, now, there was a couple other missionaries, but they didn't have this lifelong friendship. And see, Edward and Martin had this friendship that started when Edward Stevenson was about 14 years old, and Martin came to Edward's house and when Joseph taught the gospel, and uh, Martin bore testimony to Edward Stevenson, and he never forgotten it. And so Martin Harris helped convert Edward Stevenson, and so now he's kind of re returning the favor. Kind of like the Ecclesiastic scripture, yep. cast your bread upon the water and then it returns to you. So he brings him west and Martin says, I'm only going to stay for a couple weeks, you know, make sure it's a, a two-way ticket because I'm not planning on staying in Utah. But once he got in Utah, that all changed. And uh, when he came to Utah, he was rebaptized like the saints were when they come in the Valley because it was considered a new covenant because sure. it was so dramatic of a change uh, coming from Nauvoo to Utah. So it was like a rebaptism when the uh, church was organized. Uh, yep. You know, that when they, some thought that the if they were baptized before April 6th, they didn't need to be rebaptized, but the Lord said he wanted them to be rebaptized because it was a new covenant. And it was a new covenant when they came to out west. And uh, Edward Stevenson is the one who convinced Martin to be rebaptized. And so he was rebaptized in the endowment house, received uh, his endowments. He gave a, a talk in general conference. Uh, sadly, it's not recorded in the Journal of Discourses. Uh, he had a lot of, stayed in Salt Lake he, for you know, a month or two and had a lot of visitors. He visited with Brigham Young. Uh, but that's, uh, but Martin somehow gained a testimony of, uh, or, you know, spirit of the children to the fathers, you know, and fathers to the children. His, that's probably what kept Tim in Utah said he realized that he was one of the fathers of this dispensation, like the founding fathers. Yeah, we have uh, George Washington, the father of our country. We have Joseph Smith, the father of our dispensation. But we have many founding fathers in this dispensation. Sure. Uh, Hiram, Joseph Smith Sr. Uh, Joseph Smith Sr. was given a promise by Joseph Smith Jr. that it's in the Joseph Smith papers and in a blessing that the position of Joseph Smith Sr. in the millennium is to be the presiding patriarch over yep. the church and kingdom. And that is right from a blessing given by Joseph Smith Jr. You can find that in the yep. Joseph Smith papers. Yep, I, I've, I've read it. You've read that. And so and so we have Martin Harris, uh, Oliver Cowdery. We, we had this whole group of Joseph Knight Sr., uh, there's a whole group of founding fathers of the dispensation. Martin Harris is among them. I have to wonder: do, do we have any idea what the what the conversations were between Brigham and Martin upon Martin's coming west? Well, I think Brigham helped convince him to stay, uh, but we don't have any record of that conversation. But you got to realize Brigham's got a family interest in Martin Stein, sure, too, because sure. uh, 
Of Caroline. Of Caroline. You know, Caroline is Brigham's niece. You know, I would like to think, I have nothing to back this up, but I would like to think that there was some, probably some, some you know, reminiscing about their days with Joseph together, right? Like, weren't those great days to be a part yes, of? Yes, because they were, Martin, Yeah. Uh, oh, I don't know if Martin was there when Brigham was ordained, because I don't think Martin was there the second day. They didn't ordain all 12 of them the first day. But they both had an eminent knowledge but it was Joseph. at the same time. Right. I was the Joseph and the apostleship. So when uh, you got to realize Martin was never meant to be a presiding apostle right. in this dispensation, but he was an apostle where it says that the apostle is supposed to bear testimony to the world. So he was an apostle. So when you talk about Brigham and Martin having a conversation, it was. A conversation between two apostles. Well, and, and that a lot of that reminiscing, and there's a lot of things that Joseph probably told them that he might not have told the general membership of the church. Yeah, and there, there must have been some sort, obviously, of, of reconciliation there, right? Yeah, because out out of the Kirtland period, you do get this idea that Brigham, and pardon the expression, Brigham was pretty pissed at Martin for turning on Joseph. Yes, and so. You, because because Brigham was a a fierce defender of Joseph Smith, almost a protector, and so I can only imagine how the spirit must have worked with both men to get mm-hmm. reconciliation to where Brigham says, "Just just stay. These yeah. are your people. This is your family. Just stay here." And again, I think it's one of those things that that we can take from Martin's life and Brigham's life as well as it. We're we're all going to be on one side or the other of that equation where somebody has to ask for forgiveness and somebody has to extend forgiveness, mm-hmm. right? And so sometimes I don't think we do justice to history in general, especially church history, when we make statues out of these these men or these women, right? We have to understand their foibles are are very much our own, right? I mean, they yes. they dealt with pride, they dealt with envy, um, just like we do. And it's inspiring at the end of the day when you can see reconciliation, even after that much time, when when the two of them can come together after something that was as divisive as, as that Kirtland apostasy, and there's forgiveness asked, forgiveness extended, and Martin can finish his days with the people that are that are, you know. His right, he yes, his, his his spiritual brethren, and and I think that's something that that we as Mormons can can take away that while we get into deep doctrine and deep doctrine is fun, that's why I do this podcast, mm-hmm. right? I love talking about it. We can't lose sight of the fact that it's cr- some of Christ's simplest teachings that can make the deepest impact. Forgiveness being one of those. Yes, and uh, the I look at the deep doctrines as uh, we've got to learn how to say our families, say our sure friends. Uh, we have to progress. At my age, I better be understanding a few more of these deeper doctrines. Sure, and it should yeah. be beyond the. Uh, I hate to belittle our 
our lesson manuals, but I, I need to be beyond the hamster wheel. Exactly. Stage. Yep. You know, uh, the younger people, that's a little different. They need more review. But uh, so, and and these deep, deeper doctors really aren't all that uh, deep. Uh, I maybe the people consider what I give in my presentations is deep, but I, I back everything up with quotes, and we can we can read between the lines and understand. Sure, but the application of these deeper doctrines is the simple approach of the Sermon on the Mount. Yep. You know, the greatest sermon that we have in our scriptures. And that really is the gospel. And so when Moroni said the uh, Book of Mormon contained the fullness of the gospel as uh, delivered by the Savior to the ancient inhabitants, it's in the Sermon on the Mount. And, you know, and, and the other things that Christ taught uh, grew out of that. Sure. Let me ask you this. We've been at this now almost two and a half hours. Uh-oh. I thought it was only like an hour and a half. No, they, they go quick. That's normal, especially when you talk about stuff you're passionate about. I want to ask you this question first. Why do you think Martin Harris doesn't get the amount of recognition that maybe he deserves? Uh, I, and I'm guilty of this too. In other words, I was very, uh, apathetic towards Martin Harris, you know? So uh, this, I'm probably the worst offender, but I think just judging him by the apostasy, lost manuscript, uh, turning on Joseph, uh, Joseph Colony Mean in that letter from Liberty Shell. And I just think as a people, maybe we haven't totally forgiven Martin. And, and that, you know, Martin just, maybe he broke under the pressure. You know, none of us know how would we would react if we had to make a sacrifice to the level that Martin did. And remember, he's the uh, ram in the thicket of this dispensation. You know, that I almost look at that as an office. And so, uh, but, and then we have such a busy life and maybe that's part of what uh, we need to go back to what President Benson said and uh, back to Section 84 is we need to return to the Book of Mormon. And part of returning to the Book of Mormon is learning how to make sacrifices. You know, we learn about sacrifices in, in the scriptures, uh, trying to establish, you know, united orders. It's Some of it's in the endowment. Uh, it's so important how to serve others, how to be unprofitable servants. And that's one interesting thing I'm going to refer to it real quick here, is there's a miracle that took place with the lost manuscript. And I call it the miracle of the lost manuscript and how it was put together in 116 pages. was The pages were sewn together in booklets of like a pamphlet uh, of 
24 pages that's folded in half and sewed in the middle. Mm -hmm. uh, that comes from Royal Skousen. I met with Royal Skousen, the foremost authority on the original text of the Book of Mormon that's ever lived. He's a great guy, and he's one of the few scholars that was willing to meet with the old man off the street, that he, <laughs> cold turkey. And so, and they would put six of them together, so it would make 24 half pages. I, if if this sure. is video, I, I brought it with me. So 24 times 4 is 96, but the we, we, both Royal and I feel that this last, they call it a gathering, a booklet, only had five I call them quad pages. So it only had 20. So 96 plus 20 is 116. We feel they ran out of paper and they had to fold it and keep it sequenced. They had to figure out how oh, big their, I got their booklet was going to be before they started writing. And so because of not having that six page, we did not lose kind of like the first two chapters of Mosiah in our current Book of Mormon uh, because it would have been equal to four quad pages and we have the scriptures of uh, we would still be unprofitable servants and when you are in the service of your fellow beings you are only in the service of your God that had that last gathering been six quad pages and we had the lost uh, 100 what is it, 120 24 times 6 is Oh no! I wouldn't even attempt to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Ninety. Uh, lost hundred and twenty pages. Okay. It's that. Now I think the hundred and sixteen pages is exact because uh, when you estimate, uh, like if I look at you and I wouldn't say you you look like you're forty six. I would say you look like you're forty five or fifty. Right. You know, you, I'm an estimator by trade, and I usually go in increments of five and so i think the 116 pages coming from joseph smith is exact and so uh, that miracle of god preserving that part of the book of mosiah particularly where we've gone more into ministering and we've got to do what you say forgiveness serving uh i just was a recipient of a ministering something just almost out of the blue where the ward I'm in, and I can't take care of the yard, and I have weeds, and, the, and I was worried about the city getting on my case, and next, and someone organized a youth project and adults, and I had 30 people there cleaning up our yard in about two hours. That type of ministry and project of service, there's just so many things that I found, so many of these treasures. I could talk about the law of the harvest, or these historians have uh, harvested the fields, and these independent historians like Don Bradley, like you and myself, uh, are gleaning what's left behind. Right. And and there's treasures in the field. And when the Lord said a treasure in the field, he didn't say a treasure that's it's not an Easter egg hunt where everything's on top of the ground and whoever finds the one with the right number gets the prize or wins a bicycle, like my cousin did when he was a kid. Uh they're buried. You got to dig for them. You, yep. you got to be a researcher and dig for them. Yep. Well, final question, and we'll wrap up. What is it we as Mormons should take from Martin Harris's life? What's the overarching theme of his life? 
Okay, that's a, an interesting thing about the last question. It's like a final statement in a trial. So the one I didn't rehearse, the question I didn't rehearse the answer to, but mostly that whatever God asks, we have to be willing, well, not saying we have to be, we should be willing to give. We We never know what someone else is going through. Okay. Uh, I had my birth mother uh, pass away when I was a baby, so my father remarried, and, you know, that's been part of my trial. It's something that I've dealt with. Uh, it's birth mother is where I have the blood descendancy from Martin Harris, but mostly sacrifice. Sacrifice brings forth the blessings of heaven. It's that, you know, it says in Ezekiel that if a man turned from his righteous ways, he shall not be remembered. Uh, that's true. You know, sadly, Martin fulfilled that scripture, but that scripture doesn't say that it, that had to last forever. Is that if someone turns their heart, William W. Phelps uh, was and affidavits against the saints in Missouri, yet he came back, Joseph forgave him. That's the best example of forgiveness that we have in this dispensation. And you're familiar with the story. Yep. And and William W. Phelps stayed true. And that him is his gratitude to Joseph for forgiving him. Yeah. And it didn't take Joseph months to think about it. Joseph did it right like that when you've got that poem where friends at first friends at last the something is past yep and it's sacrifice in that you know and all of us don't need to give up our homes you know and all of us don't need to give up our families you don't know what's going to happen the god gives us the trials and asks us to do sacrifices that help with our growth you know as but We've got to find our place in this world, in this life. We've got to know why God sent us here. And I'm speaking more of you with being a little bit older, and I don't, I don't know your age, I'm not going to ask, but... 45. We, oh, I got it right on. Yep. We each have a mission that's got to go beyond just being a a parent and seeing the grandkids. Uh, you know, if we live to be as old as me, okay? Uh, like me, I uh, could have died. Uh, I don't, you know, if I was a cat, I'd be getting pretty close to nine lives by now. <laughs> okay, thank goodness I'm not a cat. But, you know, I came within an hour of dying, and I had to make the decision whether to live or die in my breathing crisis to call the ambulance. and. No, but most of us don't find that mission, and it's it's not a mission that comes from an ecclesiastical leader. This is a different day and age. With this much, uh, with the spirit of Elijah, the uh, uh, Joel's words being fulfilled: "Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy; your old men shall dream dreams." everything's changed. People are waking up all over the world in all kinds of religion. I have friends in religion all over the world. I have 
friends in countries from all over the world. I interact with my disease. Uh, I uh, try to give encouragement to victims of uh, who have been abused, whether it be in, uh, I'm not a therapist, but, you know, the sexually abused or uh, uh, what it's called, uh, alienation parental alienation where one parent alienates the children against the other parent in custody cases and i've met people and influential people uh from all over the country and some of them i met in person and i don't have very good luck trying to get with scholars and historians though i'm way way below 50 percent because i (laughs) I don't carry any clout and and martin doesn't have the clout either and that's another part of the disconnect is i've been turned down to be on podcasts because i'm not a historian or an apologist even though i descended from martin harris so but we we've got to each find our mission you found yours I found mine. Uh, I have so many presentations I want to get together, and I, I'm trying to get a book together. But the problem is, I don't know what to leave out because it it could possibly be a thousand pages just on things that have come into my mind since I've had what I felt was a near death experience. There's uh, of there's application of the gospel. It, it's really simple, uh, but for people to expect everything to come from ecclesiastical leaders is it just can't happen because no. we don't we aren't Nauvoo we don't have Joseph teaching us on a weekly basis in our sacrament meetings no it, it's uh, and so most people never find it and it you know some of them it's just to be temple workers and genealogists that's I've got a sister that does side branch genealogy that's uh, gonna be the uh impetus for me giving the presentation that's found thousands of names and uh and the side branch genealogy i think you understand what i'm talking yep. about right and and boy you've really got an opportunity when someone in your family i don't know whether it's your wife or somebody it's really there and we think all oh, the second coming's going to come uh in five years you know we've got to mine out as many names as we can and get them in the family search database before the Lord's going to reveal that which isn't recorded, you know? And so, uh, I don't think the second coming is going to come anytime soon. I I think we've got too much work to do, too much missionary work to do. We've got to find why God sent us here more than just to be parents. This is the last days where Saturday's warriors, uh, I've talked to a few people that found their mission, you know, like uh, the presenters at the uh, firm foundation have found their mission, like Hannah Stoddard, Rod, and Wayne May, and uh, uh, I just can't even describe Russ Barlow. Uh, I think he's been on or he's going to be on. Just published an episode this weekend. Okay, it's an honor, you know, to to know these people for me that have found their mission to Jonathan Neville, a former Jag lawyer, David Allen, the helped design the, uh, atomic clock, uh, Philip Bill, who's a mariner from England that on the Phoenicia expedition, the, how the 
uh, ocean currents could have brought Lehigh to Florida. It just and then I have friends that don't believe the uh, meso or I mean the Heartland theory. Uh, I'm not going to go into that. Uh, you're going to have a lot of evidence on that can come from your other visitors, but uh, it's just we're we can all. It's like we're all trying to climb this mountain. The top's where we all want to go, but we have a little bit different roads, and the closer we come to the top, some of those roads come together, and we take the same road till we finally get close to the top, and then there's only one road that can make it the rest of the way. And all we can say is, find your mission, find a place to serve. You know, I got a sister that's retired, could have traveled, you know, financially set. She spends 30 hours a week doing side branch genealogy, turning in thousands of names to family search. You know, when I asked how many, I thought she was going to say a few hundred. She's been doing it about four years. And she said a thousand. I thought I was losing my hearing. I th didn't know <laughs> that it had the S. I had to have her say it again to get the S. And so. Find your mission. Find your mission. Martin found his mission later in life. He found his mission of coming back to the saints. Now, it's going to take a while to uh, heal his family. He died without a woman being sealed to him. Neither Caroline or Lucy were sealed to him. They've been posthumously sealed to him. Uh, but, you know, I want to live to be 100. You know, he was talking with somebody that, you know, if I'd have waited an hour longer to uh, call the ambulance, uh, I'd have been waving at you from the clouds right now. And... Like I say, with the uh, some of the topics I've got, I just I'm not going to give away my thunder. But you think everybody, all historians have covered everything? You know, everything's no. known. <laughs> no, we haven't even begun. Uh, to... uh, the Lord knew what He said. But said everything's going to be revealed, and you know. Yep. Personal revelation is so important. Personal revelation about your mission. But I've talked long enough for two and a half hours. I didn't realize it was that long. It's all right. Well, man, I loved having you on. I love the amount of history that you have, that you've studied. Um, I've told all my guests this, and the same thing applies to you. Um, you have a standing invitation to come back on. So as you find more stuff, maybe after you release some of that thunder you talked about, Give me a call. Let's get you back on. Yeah, uh, and my thunder, it's actually God's thunder. Okay, we, we got to not take credit because we know sure. God works through us. And it's like we got to remember when, when Joseph Smith was asked the question, can Mormons raise the dead? And he said, no, but God can raise the dead through man as an instrument. We're all just instruments in God's hands. No, God uses us to loosen the frozen bolt on somebody's brain to where they can let in a little more knowledge or something. And uh, I keep thinking, well, I've mined everything out. I can't find new stuff or even new topics. And all of a sudden, I've got three or four topics before I even get to Martin and Kirtland, like we've talked about. And, and I, it always starts out as one or two ideas, and then it just 
turns into a mini master's thesis. Every presentation is a mini master's thesis for me because, and so I'm a hard person to listen to. Probably a little bit like in this podcast is no. I when I'm I give a presentation, I'm like an auctioneer or a college professor because I have like 45 minutes. And I get one shot. It's like the Olympics. Doing all this preparation, and you get one shot to perform <laughs> in the Olympics. And so uh, I have my slides, and it's my notes, and I I just start and go you right through it. You don't have one shot here. Like I said, you have a standing invitation to come back on. And so. I I probably will. It, uh, it'll probably be a, a few months. When Whenever you're ready. Because so. I do want to support it because I feel very comfortable, and I love – your audience being as big as it is because uh, the word of mouth advertising is going to be worth it. And I don't feel constrained by time. No. Uh, you know, it, and the thing, nice thing about podcasts is, you know, you can stop at 45 minutes and listen to the rest of it later. And yep. I just love it. Yep. Absolutely. Kent, you're awesome, man. Thank you for coming on. Okay, I really appreciate it. So I'm glad my voice held up because sometimes in my disease, it gets a little weak. But Nope, you did awesome. So again, thank you. I appreciate it. Okay. All right, bye everybody.